Welcome to the Living the Dream Podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Hello and welcome to another episode of Living the Dream with Curveball. I'm your host, Curveball, and today I am joined by digital marketer, first-generation immigrant, and podcaster, Roman Prokochuk. Roman, thank you so much for joining me today. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Why don't you just start off by giving the audience a little background about yourself, maybe where you're from and anything else you might want them to know? Yep. So I am a first-generation immigrant. Like you mentioned, I came to the U.S. in 1990 when I was five from Ukraine, which was still at that time under the Soviet Union. Ukraine gained its independence in 1992. I came to the U.S. via Vienna, Austria, and Rome, Italy. That's kind of how you immigrated from that part of the world at that time. You had to kind of make those stops. I don't know why, but kind of just happened like that. And I came here with my grandparents, my aunt, my parents, and my brother to a two-bedroom apartment. Uh, My grandparents were already retired. They had to start working again. And uh, I went to school here. I was going to go the criminal justice route. I interned with the Secret Service on the counterfeit currency squad. Uh, Prior to that, in college also, I was going to be a Marine Corps officer. I was going to go to uh, Quantico, Virginia, and then get an officer commission. But uh, I got sick, and um, it you know, took me down a different route. And uh, I graduated when the recession hit. So state, local and federal agencies stopped hiring. I was kind of down and depressed. An opportunity presented itself to go into digital marketing. I pivoted out of necessity and I've been doing that for the last 12 years. I founded an agency in 2012, worked with a bunch of Fortune clients, uh, 600 campaigns at this point, held a few director roles. Like you mentioned, I am a podcast host where I also interview people. And in my you know, personal life, my wife and I are foster parents. So since June of 2018, we've fostered 22 children. So talk about what it was like living in Ukraine and then also talk about what it was like transitioning to the U.S., how difficult that was or how easy it might have been. Yeah, I think it was harder for my parents. Uh, as a as a five-year-old, I think it was a lot easier. Um, I do remember things like how it was under the Soviet Union. I've been back twice uh, since I was young in 2006 and 2008 to Ukraine. Obviously, the climate's a little different, but um, my family and I went to church. So under communism, technically, there is no God like the state. You have to kind of worship or pledge allegiance to the state in that sense. So you know, people got in trouble for going to church. KGB would sit in their cars outside of church and kind of monitor people, bug people's phones and stuff like that. People would disappear. Uh, I would remember waiting in like bread lines with my mom for like four hours or so. Uh, certain things were not attainable, like from overseas and stuff like that. And uh, coming here was, like I said, a good age because I was quickly able to assimilate. I went to kindergarten right away into a class I also had English second language. So in about two years, I would say I lost my accent and became fluent. So I think it was that kind of right time because 
person learns a language past a certain age, the way your you know brain is already programmed, you retain that accent. But I was able to pick up the English language fairly quickly. So I think being a child, it was that much easier for me. I think it was a little harder on uh, my parents and grandparents. Well, I was going to say, you definitely don't have that accent. So that's a good thing that you were able to make the transition fairly easy. Let's talk about your agency that you founded and what it does and how it helps your clients. Yeah. So like I said, I got into digital marketing just out of necessity. It was actually, I met someone at the gym. Only thing that really kept me sane and kind of upbeat and not as depressed about the whole, you know, uh, work climate and stuff like that was the gym. I met someone, they kind of saw my passion and kind of intensity about things and willing to, you know, do what I needed to do. And they basically said one day, come out to my car, I want to give you something. It was 2008, which, you know, it could have went different ways. So they opened their trunk and handed me a packet about search engine optimization. They said, learn this, take another month or two online, and you can do it for my business. And I kind of got my start in digital marketing and search engine optimization. And then I saw obviously the uh, internet changing, the ecosystem uh, broadening out, different social media platforms coming to age. So I didn't want to pigeonhole myself. So I learned different things like social media strategy in terms of organic strategy, paid strategy, paid search, online reputation management, local search. And then, like I said, I transitioned and founded an agency in 2012. And it's basically using those techniques and those digital marketing disciplines to gain visibility and attract your, you know, target audience, people looking for what you do online. Talk about search engine optimization, explain to people how that works and how, if people in the audience are podcasters, how can we maximize that to the fullest extent for our shows? Yep. So it's 2020, you know, search engine optimization still exists. It's basically, you know, having a web property, a blog, a website, and basically having the proper strategy, optimizing it on site, doing certain things in terms of a technical focus, the content strategy or the, uh, you know, the words and the themes and, and the general content topics you see on a website, as well as things like websites link back to you in terms of establishing authority or showing like you're an authoritative uh, source or a figure within the space. So search engine optimization really focuses on on-site, which is the content and strategy there, different things in terms of some metadata, uh, technical in terms of paid speed, how the site is built in terms of code and off-site, you know, uh, reputation in terms of what sites are pointing back to you, different other properties within your industry usually. So there's uh, on-site, off-site, and technical. Um, obviously, if you have a business website, you want to attract people related to what you do. But also, if you are a podcaster, obviously, you can podcast without a website. So if you host on Libsyn or anywhere else, Anchor, anywhere you host, uh, you know, Buzzsprout, you have kind of a landing page per se because that's where your audio is hosted. But you know, if you I guess want to take your podcast to the next level, have a dedicated website for it where you can go more in depth, obviously include your show notes, transcriptions and different things of that nature to really attract the right audience in general to your show as well as uh, the right audience for a specific episode if your episode varies, you know, significantly, you know, based on guest or based on topic. Well, let's talk about having websites point back to you 
what's the best way to do that to if you want to create authority and have websites pointing back to you to get more visibility I basically call it in 2020 and 2019 and you know and beyond in terms of 2021 it's it's relationship building building relationships uh, collaborating with other people in the space. So in terms of clients, actually podcasting is a great source of link building and indirect kind of value because you're getting kind of that PR boost. People are listening to you. People are hearing about you, but you're also usually in terms of a podcaster for a guest, if you are a guest in terms of that kind of show format, they'll offer, you know, to link back to whatever you like, your 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 company, your product in terms of the show notes. So one, if the podcaster has a website, that's awesome. They point to you, but also whatever the host is for that audio, obviously via RSS feed, that podcast is then syndicated to, you know, the top listening platforms, whatever you've, you know, registered for. Uh, so, you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, uh, Amazon Music and anything else, obviously that show is on. So technically that link is duplicated in that sense that many times. But if you do have a website uh, and you are a guest and the podcaster has a website that benefits you directly if you're providing a do follow link to the guest. So in terms of links, there's do follow and no follow. Do follow kind of passes that SEO value directly and no follow still has value because you can get referral traffic over time. So it's kind of twofold. So you, you want that kind of strategy, offsite strategy to also provide referral traffic, preferably on already targeted sites. So things within your industry, obviously podcasts that make sense for the message you want to share. So it has that, you know, twofold value. So if you point it back to your website, eventually it'll increase the domain authority, which is the strength of your site. So that's zero, the lowest and 100 being the highest. It'll increase it over time, obviously based on other ranking factors that not only deal with link building, but also if you have a link that's permanent and let's say you do a lot of interviews, you have the potential of listeners that come back to listen to that show in the future. And if they want to know more, they can then click and go to your website. So you have an ongoing source of traffic in that sense as well. Absolutely. Before we talk more about podcast and, and your podcast, let's talk about becoming a foster parent. What made you become a foster parent and, and how have you fostered 22 kids and less than around two years. That's, that's a lot. of Yeah. Kids. So our journey kind of led, um, we've done kind of infertility treatments and, uh, in the last three years we've had, uh, five miscarriages, my wife and I, we've spent about at this point over a hundred thousand dollars out of pocket for different treatments, for different things of that nature. And then we saw it as an opportunity. Obviously we're still doing that and naturally trying, but we saw that that would be an opportunity to possibly obviously help kids that, you know, need a safe home that need affection and love and guidance and possibly an opportunity to start a family. So technically we're designated as foster to adopt, which means if we have a child that's placed in our home and parental rights are terminated, they would come to us first and see if, you know, the child would like, you know, to be adopted by us and vice versa, if the child is a good fit. Um, we've had 22 kids, like I said, some of them were longer term placements. So longest was a year some are you know a few days and let's say 10 days other uh, others are respites which is basically you help out another foster family um or a licensed you know resource home basically 
they either have a family emergency, you know, a health issue, or they're going on vacation in our state and they haven't gotten approval from a judge or a biological family hasn't approved that, you know, leave out of state. So they would, you know, call us and see if we can temporarily take care of the child or the child state in our home until that other, you know, foster home is either back in state or is ready and recovered from whatever their illness is. So, you know, 22 is a lot. Yes. Um, if you asked me a few years ago, I don't think I would probably say I would be a foster dad in general, but it's one of those things where like it's, it's busy and there's a lot involved in terms of bureaucracy and cracks in the system, but it's really rewarding in terms of seeing the impact you can make on kids' lives. And a lot of the kids making crazy dramatic changes just being in your home for a few weeks. So what kind of emotional hardship is it for you to have 22 kids because, you know, you might get attached to them and then they have to leave. How do you deal with that? And what kind of emotional hardship can it be on the child if they get attached to you and then they say, oh, you're going somewhere else? How, how do you guys deal with that? Yeah, it's, it's crazy because it's one of those things where it's like each child, even if it's a day or a year, you still care about them. You still think about them, make sure that they're safe. You know, they're in a good place. So it's like you being an emotional masochist because, you know, you're going to be in pain. You know, it's going to hurt every time. And it's kind of one of those things you don't necessarily get used to it, but, you know, it's coming. And then situations also, sometimes, you know, you get a phone call and it's a place like, you know, these children are moving towards adoption. So right off the bat, you think it, it'll be a possibility of adoption. And then for one case, we had two boys, our first placement, we had them for a year and they ended up being reunified, which reunification is always the, the primary goal until obviously that changes in the case. So situations like that, where you're already set up to think that the possibility of adoption exists, that's even that much harder. And we didn't know if we were going to do it after that um, specific case, that first placement. But um, we did. Uh, I think there's a lot more that can be done when a child is reunified. So therapy to make sure the child understands that they will be going home. And most likely, obviously, we're open to you know, uh, establish and, and retain uh, contact with the biological parents and be a resource for them and help them succeed. But oftentimes, which I understand the point of view of the parent, they get the child back and they just want to forget about that point in their life and they want no contact with the foster home or foster family. So it's a lot of the time that is hard for the child too, because that biological parent or guardian cuts off all contact. Um, so it is tough in that sense. And just going back to you know, lift back to your home after usually a year from the situation you came from and often like brings up those memories, whatever you experience or whatever you saw. So it is hard. So I think there, there's more that can be done in terms of therapy and services for children to get them ready to get reunified as well. If you end up, if you and your wife end up having a child of your own or you end up getting child adopted, are you still going to be a foster parent or, or your goal is just to get a child or kids and once you do, you're going to be out of the, you're going to be out of the system? No, we're going to keep doing it. If we have uh, biological children or we end up adopting, we're going to keep fostering. Uh, you know, unfortunately, there's a lot of good foster homes that close just based on the bureaucracy they have to deal with with the system and 
a lot of the time the the foster parent resource home their point of view or you know what whatever they have to say is kind of discounted in the sense that you know you may have objections based on behaviors you see with the child or how they react to things or things that are brought up because obviously they're in your home you know 24/7 they live there they sleep there you interact with them and oftentimes that's not weighted in a case in terms of actually going to court and explaining things so there are cases where kids are reunified into the same situations or worse and there's it, it's tough i feel like um a lot of good foster homes close because they just can't deal with the bureaucracy anymore but i think we're going to keep continuing as long as we can do it um we uh, may move at some point so maybe looking at whatever state we end up in doing it as well but it's one of those things it's like yes the system is broken and there's a lot of improvements that can be made but ultimately the kids are the ones that are left to suffer because they're not in control of the situation they're in uh, and they can't really do much about it so as many kids we can help as possible and like i said when i started i didn't think i can be a foster parent, especially to, you know, more than one child. And we've had up to five children uh, at once, which surprisingly, if you have a process and you have, you know, house rules and stuff like that, it, it works really well. What do you feel, in your opinion, needs to be done to fix the broken system? If you had a say so, or they came to you today and said, Roman, we're trying to fix the system. Can you give us some tips? What would you tell them? Uh, just an overall audit. I think each state has similar problems, but some things may uh, be prevalent in one state or one county over another. I mean, things we've experienced is just caseload is always going to be an issue. So figuring out and balancing some kind of, you know, checks and balances. So like kids don't slip through the crack or aren't reunified to same situations. Um, the opinion and uh, the opinion and the viewpoints and things that the foster parents or resource homes observe uh, being weighted a little bit more on cases and not looked at as, you know, they just want to keep the child. They're just trying to, uh, you know, side rail a, a case or something and just vetting. I understand every career has people that are in there just for a job and, and others, it's a career for them. I mean, we've had situations where caseworkers straight up said to us like, no matter what you say about us, you're never gonna get us fired. So that kind of mindset, you're not necessarily doing the best for your cases or in terms of building, uh, you know, working relationship with foster parents either. So really streamlining things and just communication in general, oftentimes, obviously, state, federal governments have communication things. Um, it's, it's basically different people involved and a lot of people involved in each case. You have caseworkers, you have resource workers, you have nurses, you have therapists, you have uh, law guardians, and there's all these moving parts. And oftentimes they don't share information really well, aren't on the same page. So I think uh, coming up with some kind of formal process for checks and balances where everybody is aware of, you know, what their function is and where a case is. Sometimes We've had children already reunified and like six months later, you know, somebody calls us uh, that was involved in the case, you know, how the child is doing. So clearly there's a lack of communication when the, when the child's been reunified six months ago and you're still getting a call from somebody involved about the case. Absolutely. I, I definitely know about the things that you're talking about very well. Well, let's go back now and talk about your podcast because your podcast was in the top 100 is it still there right now let's talk about your podcast and what it's about and how you got 
into that top tier because all of us want to be there, but uh, many of us don't make it. Yeah, so I think this this year it started making a lot of headway. So like first thing in the new year, it reached uh, 45 in its category in the U.S. on Apple Podcasts and um, 11 in the U.K., 4 in Canada, and then just other markets around, you know, Europe and South Central America, you know, top 50, top 100. So I think it's it's a good vanity metric that possibly can help you when you're trying to get guests and stuff like that. But ultimately, you have to know that it fluctuates. So it's not it's like actually like search engine optimization. If you're ranking for something, you're not necessarily going to be number one, you got to do things consistently, and it's going to fluctuate. So it might get, you know, to the bottom of the first page, but you know, I've been 45, then it's 89, then it's 100, it's back to 79, then it's 200. So it's kind of moving. And it's never stationary in that sense. But I mean, there's no kind of magic formula. There's just building of listenership. I think a lot of people get into podcasting and think it's automatic, like, you know, you're going to be rich, you're going to be like Joe Rogan, you're going to have an established community. And if you are transitioning from like a professional athlete, actor, actress, you can carry that community over. But if you're starting off from scratch, you have to figure out how to you know, build listenership, build subscribers and downloads and keep it uh, consistent. So over time, there's no really gaps in terms of, you know, listenership or a steady rate of subscribers or although it's not super, super important, it's nice to have genuine reviews as well. I wouldn't say obviously like people force reviews, but genuine reviews because it helps listenership. It helps people that may be Googling your podcast in terms of people that you've reached out to, to be on that podcast, but it's just a consistent amount of, uh, you know, collaboration and work. I think one thing that has helped me, uh, like I mentioned uh, this year, I think I've been on about at this point, 70 other podcasts. So each of those are in similar um, categories. Some are different and each of those, obviously some, not necessarily all, touch on that I have a podcast. And if I don't don't touch it, it's usually mentioned in the show notes. So that kind of additional traffic from each one has helped kind of, you know, build it over time. And also, I have a show that's also interview format with guests. And in the last year and a half, I've interviewed about 250 people. So a lot of them, obviously, I don't make them, but I make it as easy as possible in terms of creating a go live kit with different social media assets they can share, or it can be found where they can basically share that episode, share it to their email list or anywhere else they would like. And a lot of people have really loyal followings that, you know, listen to that episode and they like that episode to listen to more and then they subscribe. And I, I think it's just a consistent, consistent Uh, you know, battle in that sense. So it's one of those things where you have to keep doing things and never really, you know, be stagnant for more than a, you know, a certain amount of time. That's why I also encourage people that have an interview based show that, that, that they should have at least, let's say a month or two of buffer of interviews, because a lot of things happen in life. Um, You go on vacations, other things come up with business or personal life. So having that consistent stream of content and having a consistent engagement uh, with your audience as well, I think is important. What's the most important thing that you think contributes to getting your podcast to rise in the rankings? Is it downloads, subscribers, reviews? Which one is it? Because a lot of people say 
different things when it comes to that, but I know you have the experience. So what's the most important thing? I mean, I think it's listens and downloads and then subscribers and reviews and reviews being the, the third lease of that. That's just like the, the super simple formula, but it, it's a, a steady stream of that. So obviously like over time, if you see any fluctuations or anything like that, obviously people do some sketchy stuff in terms of promoting the show and stuff like that. But like I said, I would say list increase of listenership and downloads and then a subscribing base, obviously the amount of subscribers and then reviews that are authentic. And obviously we're speaking more so people interacting with the show on Apple podcasts, obviously other uh, platforms allow reviews and um, your overall subscribers to count for an overall subscriber number. But if you're looking specifically for uh, Apple podcast charts, that, that's kind of like what I've seen as you know the, the simplest explanation of it. Well, go ahead and give your show a direct plug. Tell us what it's all about. Tell us how we can listen and anything else that you want to talk about about the show. Yeah, it's called the uh, Digital Savage Experience Podcast. I interview people all walks of life. I've had, you know, former founding members of the Medellin Drug Cartel. I've had, um, you know, uh, former athletes, CEOs, startup founders, just basically what their journey has been like, personal and professional, what makes them tick, how they became who they are, what motivates them, and basically, you know, th their overall journey, bad, good, or otherwise. Are there any other projects that you're working on where we're getting out of 2020 going into 2021? Are you working on any speaking engagement books, other projects? Just plug any projects that you might be working on that the listeners can connect with or look forward to. Yeah, just mainly novazoradigital.com. You can see some of the work there in terms of clients and then mainly not necessarily like monetizing, but really building more relationships. Uh, have been talking with a few podcast networks, so kind of taking my podcast to the next level. And I always like to help people, regardless of obviously they become a client or not in terms of digital marketing and steer them in the right direction in case they're being taken advantage of. So if you have a digital marketing question, somebody has sent you, sent you a proposal you're not sure of, but more than happy to you know, answer any inquiries on social or on the website or jump on you know, 15, 20 minute call to really explain what you would be getting for whatever, you know, somebody's pitching you or actually based on your goals, what you really need to reach them and how much usually in terms of a fair price that would take. Well, go ahead and throw out all your full contact information, social media, any way listeners can connect with you. That way they have everything right here and can get in touch with you. Yeah, for social media, I'm pretty much on every on every platform. Obviously, the last name is a little hard, but I think I am the primary Roman Prokopchuk that will show up if you're looking for him. It is actually a common uh, first and last name in Eastern Europe, surprisingly, if you're looking for it. Um, NovazorDigital.com is the website. Digital Savage Experience Podcast is the podcast. If you Google that, you can find your you know desired listening platform and um, anything else. Like I'm always open. I respond usually within 24 hours and just try to add as much value as possible and, you know, help people along the way. Is there anything else that you would like to touch on that we haven't talked about before we go? 
Uh, just, I mean, pod, like we're on a podcast. I think if you do have a message to share, it's one of the most, you know, the, the best platforms in terms of reaching an audience and really making an impact. I think audio is a medium that the only thing you can really consume and multitask. So, you know, you can be at the gym, you can be working and listening to something. You can't really do that with text, uh, video, or image. Like you have to obviously focus on that. So if you do have a message uh, and you are kind of scared to share it, I would encourage you because if you if you help at least one person out there, like that's all that matters. And at first, before I really started doing interviews on other shows and really starting my podcast, I was kind of scared about sharing about some stuff, obviously, my personal life and stuff like that. But if you really open up the layers and really show who you are as a person, besides what you do in terms of your business or your company, people tend to come to you and re it resonates more and you tend to align with the right customer base because they see that you're authentic and you may have some commonality in terms of experiences, but really showing who you are from different directions really goes a long way, especially in a podcast platform. Ladies and gentlemen, Roman Prokopcha. Roman, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And listeners, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream. dream.